Welcome to the Dividend Cafe weekly market commentary focused on dividends in your portfolio and dividends in your understanding of economic life. Hello and welcome to today's COVID and Markets brought to you by the Dividend Cafe. This is David Bonson. I'm the Chief Investment Officer at the Bonson Group. A bit of an action-packed day and we're going to go through our normal categories of information to give you a little update in all things uh, COVID-related and how they're affecting the markets and economy. Uh, as I went to bed last night, the futures were pointing to a down 200-point day in equity markets. And then when I woke up at 3 in the morning, futures were flat. And by 5 o'clock in the morning, the futures are pointing to a 120-point move higher. The market opened at 6.30 a.m. Pacific, obviously, flat. And it traded pretty much flat to modestly down throughout the day. Um, and then again, in the very final hour of trading, we've seen this quite a bit lately, there was quite a big move. And in this case, it was to the downside. The market closed uh, in the Dow down over 450 points. The S&P was actually down even more on a percentage basis. And again, all of that coming in the final hour of trading. Now, it's interesting because the level of normalcy in the markets now versus four weeks ago, uh, six weeks ago, eight weeks ago is a totally different universe. But with that said, markets are still nowhere near normal and unpredictable behavior is going to continue. Underlying uncertainty, volatility, and erratic price action is to be expected, both for good and for bad. Uh, in terms of today's COVID markets, though, on the health data side, we do actually have some of the best news that I've had to report since I began doing these daily missives. And so let's jump into that, and then we'll come back to some of the market discussion. Uh, we did, on Monday, enjoy the lowest case growth as a percentage since the crisis began, just 1.4% case growth here in the U.S., the most visible drop in absolute number of new cases as well. We were at about 18,000 plus change yesterday, and we were over 22,000 a week ago, same day. So a 16.5% decline week over week. Uh, Monday featured the highest daily testing number we've seen so far, 394,000, which was a surge behind 113,000 new tests that were done in New Jersey. And we had a low in positive tests as a percentage of total tests, just 4.6% yesterday, Monday. Now, today's data, we did, again, reach over 300,000, about 306,000, 307,000 new tests, and a positivity ratio of just 6.6%. So the reason why I continue to hit this point home is that we went for weeks averaging about 140,000 tests a day and averaging right around 20% positive ratio. We're now averaging, let's call it 300,000 tests per day. And uh, right now, a positivity ratio that's been in the single digits. So really encouraging news in that regard. I would point out too, just to keep this half full glass, half full, that we have not seen any case pickup in Georgia, Tennessee, or South Carolina, which have led the way in economic reopening. It's not to say that we won't see any pickup there, but so far we have not. And and that matches a lot of what we've seen in Europe as well, where some of the countries that have led the way in reopening have, have really had pretty benign data since their reopening. Um, I will point out, because I got into some of the sports leagues plans yesterday, that Major League Baseball did indeed 
uh, present their kind of you know uh, master plan for for salvaging their 2020 baseball season. And I'm not particularly surprised, but the players union is pushing back on some things and I'm hopeful that there'll be agreement in the days ahead, but this is not something I could bet firmly on that the union and management will come to an agreement, but it, at least it does speak to some of those, you know, kind of high level efforts towards normalization being made. Definitely not a surprise, but Broadway in New York City, the theater district, is not going to be reopening over the summer. I don't think at this point very many people expected they would. Although their new target of Labor Day weekend would be very encouraging. I'm not totally sure, based on state and local guidance, what, what where, where they'll be with that either. But targeting that uh, September 6th, Labor Day weekend, to see the Broadway theater district come back to life in New York City. Um, Moderna, one of the uh, leading vaccine programs, did receive their fast-track designation from the FDA. Uh, They're prepping both Phase 2 and Phase 3 trials right now as a a leading vaccine candidate. And so the world is watching to kind of see how quickly some of these things can continue through their very pivotal clinical trials. Um, I would point out, because Switzerland is certainly a model country in a lot of ways uh, as it pertains to a number of categories that come up in the realm of policy. And uh, they're reopening and not just uh, retail storefronts and so forth, but restaurants, sit down, um, uh, has been quite an interesting model for safety and economic well-being. And it's important to note some of the European countries are having success with their attempts to get their economies uh, normalized. Um, market technicals, the only thing I kind of want to really focus on here is the regularity as opposed to abnormalcy of the market performing very well through a period of awful payroll reports. Uh, my friends at Strategus Research ran a couple reports where you look back at some of the worst payroll reports you've ever had. And you've actually had very positive stock market performance throughout. And they specifically highlight, and I put charts to this effect at covidandmarkets.com today, the 1974 uh, recession where we were just suffering through really brutal, prolonged unemployment issues in the stagflation of the 1970s. And then, of course, the 2009 atrocity through the great financial crisis. But they both saw the same thing, which is that by the time the worst employment report, unemployment report came, the market bottom had already happened. And, and again, we see this with the gift of hindsight. Now, another way of saying it is that it's common that markets would be going higher even as unemployment is still worsening. The point being that the worst payroll report often comes after the market bottom in hindsight. And and so I think the empirical confirmation, just to provide that historical reference, is is useful and perhaps actionable. But I also think a theoretical explanation is important, and it is something I've been saying over and over and over again over the last several weeks. Uh, that of course markets are forward looking, but also that markets overshoot on the downside in every panic sell off, so that when markets recover a lot of the quote-unquote recovery is really just making back the first part of excess that had sold off. Then, when markets begin to assess the future, prices reflect more than just current headlines, but rather anticipation of the future, which sometimes can be many months out. And, and additionally, 
when markets are pricing in their view of the future, they're doing so with a view to the relative reality of the marketplace, what the other risk-free assets, what other risk-free assets are offering by way of comparison. So um, markets can be wrong in the way that they assess these things, but I would argue that investors are wrong a lot more than, than markets are. Uh, some other technical observations before we move on, the financials, uh, particularly you know regular conventional banks continue to be the weak link in this market. Um, healthcare has continued to shine, but not just big pharma, small cap, biotech, everything in between as well. A lot of uh, uh, positivity in the healthcare sector. The small cap area is really beginning to sustain some technical strength, particularly where uh, higher quality factors exist. Um, so I think that there is a, a heavy portion of small cap that is not profitable and is more debt, uh, you know, levered and so forth. But in terms of higher quality companies from a balance sheet and financial performance standpoint, you're, you're seeing, you know, a lot of technical strength into the small cap area. And then finally, the VIX, um, it got as low yesterday on Monday as it was before the real COVID market distress started in kind of late February. It was the first time that we saw the VIX back down around 27 or so, which uh, the last time we had been in that 27 range, um, mid to high 20s for the, the fear index was indeed near the end of February before, you know, everything kind of hit the fan. Uh, now, of course, just as soon as I say that, the VIX popped up almost 20% today, uh, back to about $33. On the public policy front, Secretary Mnuchin yesterday showed the clearest signs to date that he is bending towards making the PPP guidelines less restrictive and more flexible. The two areas where flexibility needs are most highlighted continue to be in A, the length of time loans can be held onto before requesting forgiveness, something longer than the current eight-week allotment, and B, more bandwidth in how funds are spent uh, to still be eligible for loan forgiveness. It, it's currently requiring 75% be devoted to payroll. There's been a lot of push to try to see some of that lessened a little bit to accommodate other business models. Um, first of all, an inspector general report's already come out and said that the guidelines offered by Department of Treasury and the SBA after the legislation passed were excessive relative to what Congress had actually passed in the CARES Act. Now, I think Treasury's position is no, we had the leeway there, and I'm not sure what a legal argument would be, but there's already been kind of interdepartmental uh, opposition. Um, additionally, there's been so much open lobbying for some greater flexibility, and it hasn't let up. So, look, Secretary Mnuchin is not fully capitulated here, but he's referred to being open to technical fixes. And I think generally that language usually is a precursor to some form of, of uh, adaptation. As for the Stimulus 4.0 uh, you know, package that I think we're eventually headed towards, uh, Speaker Pelosi's House bill, which they've titled the HEROES Act, uh, was leaked out today. And it's calling for $500 billion uh, direct to the states, $375 billion direct to local municipalities, $175 billion for a social services emergency fund, $20 billion for tribal relief, Indian reservations, $75 billion for housing assistance, $25 billion for the post office, $10 billion for small businesses, and then 
$3.6 billion for election contingency planning. Uh, it's all early negotiating moves by House Democrats. It's not a serious attempt at legislation. There's been no intersection with the White House, let alone Senate Republicans yet. And my sources tell me that that's two to three weeks away. So the beat goes on. Uh, I'm going to kind of skip over some of the things I say at COVIDandmarkets.com today about oil and energy. Oil, first of all, was up about 5% today, hitting the $26 range for WTI crude. But I do want to kind of just give you either a warning or uh, or tease it a little that I really am uh, embarking on pretty heavy study into this idea that the U.S. and Saudi relations may be very different for for some period of time to come. Um, and when I say different, I mean different than something that's really been pretty baked into the U.S. geopolitical assumptions for for decades. Uh, Saudi had twenty seven and a half billion dollars. Uh, uh, fall in currency reserves in the month of March. Uh, we haven't got April's number yet. I expect it will be. Um, and so I, I just sort of think that what we're facing is a lot of pressure for the U.S. to continue being there for Saudi. Remember, they peg their currency to the U.S. dollar, and yet the U.S. Uh, is is increasingly feeling that they're providing a lot of geopolitical support and not getting a lot in exchange economically. And so if both sides feel estranged right now, it, that could go in a direction that could have a lot of implications. Uh, it, yeah, in oil and commodity prices, but also in currency and in, in national security. Um, in housing, just to be very candid, the increase in loans that are in forbearance went from 7.54% to 7.91% last week. That was much less than I expected. So I'm really happy about that. It's very good news. I think 7.91% is on an absolute basis is very high to have that many mortgages in forbearance right now. It's higher than we wanted to see. But the week-over-week -week pace seems to have slowed quite a bit, and that would be a very good thing. Um, as for new purchases of housing, we've, we've seen purchase loan rate activity about 15% per week less than the corresponding week of a year earlier over the last six weeks or so. And I've been surprised that the number was not greater and then now this week, purchase rate locks were only down 8% year over year. All signs of a pretty robust new purchase market. But I think the caveat's important. It's more or less entirely in the conforming market where the loan amount is $510,000 or less um, that you're seeing healthy activity. They conform to the Fannie and Freddie standards. The jumbo market, more subprime market, with even subprime within FHA, it's pretty much frozen entirely. The loan market uh, for investors, you know, people buying um, spec or, or, or income property is almost completely broken as well. Uh, in Fed news, they did officially begin their corporate bond buying today. Obviously, these facilities had been telegraphed some time ago. Uh, you know, high-grade corporate bonds are up 15% since the Fed's announcement. Junk bonds are up about 14%. So they're now entering into a market that's already seen a lot of price recovery and, 
and and improved liquidity conditions, um, how the mere announcement of Fed intervention has already resolved much of that liquidity deterioration that the space suffered in March. It's going to be an interesting fact to juxtapose with their actual purchases. But when you look today, uh, which was by and large turned into quite a risk-off day, uh, stocks down, interest rates didn't do anything particularly noteworthy, but you see all these different bond ETFs performing well. I think it's a, uh, a, a natural byproduct of Fed activity. Um, by the way, the President of the United States was on Twitter today saying as long as other countries are receiving the benefits of negative interest rates, the USA should also accept the gift of negative rates, big numbers. And so we just hope and pray that no one's listening to that. Uh, negative interest rates, I think, uh, would be one of the great tail risks for the market health of the economy to have such a uh, massive amount of price discovery taken out of the market and and uh, disruption to American financial markets. But um, I'll leave that alone. Uh, so final uh, closing comment here. We're really right now very excited about a number of investment opportunities that are coming out of the COVID experience. Uh, Non-traded loans to middle market companies from non-bank lenders, just call it the middle market lending uh, area is a space that we think is very opportunistic. Um, the Fed's put a lot of downward pressure on yields. They've provided a lot of support, as I mentioned a moment ago, into the investment-grade corporate bond market. And that's taken away a lot of the potential reward in that aspect of corporate debt. But when you get into very well-underwritten loans with a senior position, floating rate terms that provide a lot of interest rate protection, you get big spread opportunities, some technical advantages that we think are very underappreciated. So that middle market direct lending uh, asset class becomes an area we frankly were beginning to really turn on to even before COVID and now have become quite fond of the opportunities there. So with that said, go to covidmarkets.com, see the different charts and things we've posted here today. And if you have any questions at all, do not hesitate to reach out to all of us at the Bonson Group. Thank you for listening to COVID and Markets. The Bonson Group is a group of investment professionals registered with Hightower Securities, LLC, member FINRA and SIPC, and with Hightower Advisors, LLC, a registered investment advisor with the SEC. Securities are offered through Hightower Securities, LLC. Advisory services are offered through Hightower Advisors, LLC. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities. No investment process is free risk. There is no guarantee that the investment process or investment opportunities referenced herein will be profitable. Past performance is not indicative of current or future performance and is not a guarantee. The investment opportunities referenced herein may not be suitable for all investors. All data and information referenced herein are from sources believed to be reliable. Any opinions, news, research, analyses, prices, or other information contained in this research is provided as general market commentary and does not constitute investment advice. The Bonson Group and Hightower shall not in any way be liable for claims and make no expressed or implied representations or warranties as to the accuracy or completeness of the data and other information, or for statements or errors contained in or omissions from the obtained data and information referenced herein. The data and information are provided as of the date referenced. Such data and information are subject to change without notice. 
This document was created for informational purposes only. The opinions expressed are solely those of the Bonson Group and do not represent those of Hightower Advisors LLC or any of its affiliates. Hightower Advisors do not provide tax or legal advice. This material was not intended or written to be used or presented to any entity as tax advice or tax information. Tax laws vary based on the client's individual circumstances and can change at any time without notice. Clients are urged to consult their tax or legal advisor for any related questions.